You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Houston Police Chief Art Arcevedo and Police Executive Research Forum Executive Director Chuck Wexler joined the Post to discuss the rise in violent crime in the U.S. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter at the Washington Post. It's my pleasure to welcome Chief Art Acevedo, who's the head of the Houston Police Department and also head of the Major Cities Chiefs Association, uh, and Chuck Wexler, Executive Director of the Police Executive Research Forum. We're here to talk today about the rise in violent crime over the past year, strategies to keep communities safe, the challenges of policing in a pandemic, and anything else I feel like talking about. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And I apologize that we had all that technical difficulty. It was not the Washington Post. I think it was Perth, but actually it was the Houston Police Department. We were having problems. So our third uh, device was a charm. I'm on my cell phone. Great. Uh, which you're on a lot. You are, you're a tweeting uh, machine down there. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, yeah. let's talk about 2020. Uh, what a year. A pandemic racial justice protests, and then skyrocketing homicide rates, uh, Houston's murder total went up 40%, while other crimes like rape, robberies, burglaries, and larcenies dropped almost as much. Uh, when everyone was supposed to be inside, Chief, how did homicides rise like they did? What, what happened last year? Well, I mean, I, 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 I would say it's a perfect storm, right? We've had, uh, we've had to deal with uh, COVID, 19 and the impact of uh, it's had on our uh, collective psyche, uh, the impact it's had on uh, the economy, the impact it's had on families, and uh, the fuses have been uh, shorter than usual uh, across our city and across the nation. We're seeing a lot of murders that are people making split second decisions. Uh, so that's part of it. And the other part of it uh, is the fact that it's not just murders that are starting to go up now, but it's uh, it's other violent crimes. And I think that part of it's going to end up being, uh, once we get past COVID, that is criminal justice reform uh, that's a little bit off the rails, where we're taking low-level misdemeanor reform and bail reform, and now we're applying it to violent criminals. And what we're seeing here in Houston, especially this year, is people that have a history of violence, co uh, convictions for violence, are going in one door and out the other. And I think that that's something we're needing to talk about as a nation. Well, let's go right there. I have that question lined up for later, but I think you've raised a good point because you were sort of a big supporter of bail reform as a way of creating equality in the justice system, that people are not held in jail because they're poor. But you and other police chiefs have raised the issue that too many people, I think in your view, are being released. Uh, what's, what has gone wrong? You said it went off the rails. What happened? Well, there is a push across our nation from uh, these folks. And Alex Kanakis, I always uh, kill his name. He's a uh, Washington lawyer there that's uh, always pushing it. They have, uh, they've taken misdemeanor bail reform that, uh, and nonviolent offense reform uh, with bail. We believe, I don't think anybody would argue that uh, people shouldn't be in jail simply because they can't afford it. And we shouldn't let people out of jail just because they have the money. It disproportionately impacts communities of color. But let me tell you what else is in, uh, disproportionately impacting communities of color, and that is a violence. Uh, our victims in our big cities are disproportionately uh, people of color and, uh, and poor people, including poor white uh, communities. And so what's happened is they've taken that bail reform mentality 
that quite frankly, what for us, it's about justice and for others, it's about mayhem. And they're applying it to people that and suspects and people charged with murder, with robbery. Just uh, yesterday, we uh, we had someone that was arrested on 11 bonds. This guy's a serial robber. We have murder suspects that are charged with murder with a history of violent crimes and convictions for violent crimes. They're being released on $300 bonds and $1,000 bonds. It is a mockery of the criminal justice system. And I think that we're really going to have to take a hard look at what's going on across the country. And the last piece that nobody's talking about is the fact that too many courts across this country, because of COVID, has decided, have decided that, you know what, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have to uh, work. We only had six jury trials in all of Harris County last year. Somehow supermarkets are open, schools are both in class and virtual, airports are open, restaurants are open. Society continue to move forward, but our judges have just decided that trying to hold people accountable and keep people safe is important. So that's something we're gonna have to look at. Chuck, you've spoken to chiefs about this, about this issue about people going in and out of jail. Uh, where, is there blame that lies here? Is it that the people are still figuring out bail reform? What, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I look, I, you know, Art's in, in, in Houston, and I'm not going to disagree with what he's facing. I think, it's, I think it's larger than one issue than just bail reform. I think if you look back in this, look back this past year during the pandemic, at first, crime was pretty flat. And then as you went into the summer, that's when violent crime, homicides really took off. And honestly, uh, if you look at cities like Louisville and Chicago and Atlanta and Minneapolis, unbelievable high numbers. I think it's a combination of factors. I think the entire criminal justice system had to shut down because of COVID. But I think you had a bunch of other factors, too. You had demonstrations which pulled cops away from locations. You had the COVID factor. Cops didn't want to engage with people during this period. And I think Art makes a point about some percentage of the people who were let out uh, re-offended. You can't get away from that. Look at carjackings, for example. In Chicago, you can have a 14-year-old kid who can get picked up three or four times, brought in and let out juveniles. And carjacking is a very serious crime. So I, I guess I wouldn't just focus just on bail reform. I think it's a combination of factors. I do. I am uh, interested in the carjacking topic, though. And Chief uh, Acevedo, I haven't heard uh, what's happened in Houston there. Uh, we had been hearing that juveniles, as Chuck just mentioned, were really causing a surge in this. Have you guys seen that down there and also in the other chiefs that you've spoken to with the other yeah, chiefs? Let me just say, uh, just so you all know, we close to 100 of our murders last year were people that were out on bond for felony a low bond or personal bond. If those people, 100 people, would have been in jail based on a risk assessment, we would have last, uh, arguably had 100 fewer murderers. What's happening in a lot of big cities, and, and Houston is not unique to that, is that the, 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 the gang organizations and the drug trafficking organizations, uh, they're actually using juveniles as uh, trigger pullers. We, we're seeing more and more juveniles involved in uh, criminal enterprises, involving in rob armed robberies, aggravated robberies, aggravated assaults, and murders. I mean, we have 11 juvies that are in charge with murder of last count that I had in our county, two with capital murder, and then uh, hundreds are uh, charged with uh, violent uh, felonies. 
uh, the OGs are figuring out, you know what, these, these kids can go in and out, and so they're starting to use them, and it's becoming a huge problem. And the other problem is that we have criminal justice reformists now that are saying, you know, 17, you know, why are we uh, 17 or 18? The brain hasn't uh, fully developed. And so now what they're talking about is trying to push to not charge these individuals to tw until they're 25. So imagine what's going to happen if, if, if uh, reformists get uh, their way. Look, I'm a refugee. English is my second language. I grew up in a, a rough little town. And guess what? My brain didn't develop, and someone argued still hasn't developed. But I didn't go around shooting people, robbing people, stabbing people, beating people. And so uh, this is going to continue, and I think it will continue until the American people are no longer distracted by COVID and start paying attention to what's going on in our criminal justice system. Uh Chuck, we've got a question from the audience from Stephen Swinnerton in Colorado who said, what cities have not seen this rise and what are they doing right? Have you spoken to folks? There were some in some of the various cities that didn't see big rises last year. Yeah, no, there have been some cities. Uh, interestingly enough, Baltimore right up here about uh, 30 miles from Washington, uh, their numbers are high, their homicide numbers high. and Mike Harrison would be the first to admit it, but it didn't go up the way other cities did. Um, Anchorage, Alaska, interestingly enough, they had a decrease. I think they had the public safety partnership involved there. Columbia, South Carolina had a decrease. El Paso, Texas uh, had a decrease. But I, I have to say, those are the exceptions. Uh, by and large, when we did a survey, uh, about 80% of the large cities went up 22% of 223 cities went up. So those are the exceptions. But it's a good question to be asking what they're doing right, uh, because, uh, but that's not really the trend. The trend is significantly, uh, and, and we're, we're talking about numbers you haven't seen for 10 or 15 years. New York City, which has had a 20 year decline, uh, so a significant number of homicides. And as Art will tell you, you can multiply that number of homicides by four because that's the number of people who've gotten shot. They simply didn't die. Yeah. Uh, and then, so there was a big call to defund the police in the wake of George Floyd. Uh, but in Houston, the mayor told me last summer, I don't want to defund the police. I want to increase police funding. And he did that by $20 million. Uh, many politicians and mayors I've spoken to have agreed that defunding was not the answer, uh, but some cities, such as L.A., uh, have reduced police funding. So, Chief, what are you going to do with that additional funding that will improve public safety? Well, let me just say I think it's a, it's a misnomer that we've, in, uh, we've increased funding. Part of it is we actually took the CARES Act funding that the city, thank God, for the second uh, iteration of, uh, of uh, COVID relief for cities, because we were going to cancel all five of our academy classes this year, all five. A police department that has not grown in over 22 years, despite the city being 677 square miles, has grown by over 500,000 people. We still have the same number, actually a, few, a fewer number of police officers than we had uh, 22 years ago. So, uh, and our support staff has been cut in half uh, by 53% in those 20 years. Unfortunately, what our mayor uh, understands and our city council understood unanimously is that our community in the most diverse big city in the country, uh, it's a minority majority, uh, minority majority city. Uh, this community wants to be safe. They want to feel safe and they don't want less policing. They want better and more uh, policing. They want better and more safety. And our mayor and council understood that. And that's why they decided to restore our classes. 
but we're nowhere near where we need to be. And uh, when we and when we're handling the same violent felons uh, 11 times. OK, and that's fast becoming the rule instead of the exception. And that's not bail reform. That's called uh, judges that are activist judges that are placing uh, the community at risk. Not only are they not having trials, uh, they're going three to five years to even get somebody to trial. I never, I'm not sure why they don't uh, respect the, the, the right to a speedy uh, trial. That's gone by the wayside across this country. Uh, and it's really creating havoc in our city and in other cities across the country. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's going to take the American people speaking out before uh, before I think we get uh, get get it handled. Chuck, what's happening in the cities where they have had some defunding? I know you've been speaking to the chiefs there. What, how have they dealt with it? Well, uh, Mr. Jackman, one of the more interesting stories, I think, is Minneapolis. Uh, you know, the, the trial is going on here now. But what's interesting is if you talk to people in Minneapolis, if you talk to the chief and so forth, nobody's talking about the defund movement in Minneapolis especially if you're in the third or the fourth precinct of Minneapolis where homicides have gone off the chart. Now, people in those areas who live there, they want police. They want better police. They want good police. But the last thing they want is resources taken away. I think the defund movement really has done a disservice to you know, some of the, the legitimate issues that have come out of the George Floyd incident. We did a survey uh, of about 250 departments and about 48% of them had cut their funding. Look at New York, look at Los Angeles, where you've had an increase in homicides. I mean, at, at a time when we should be, you know, stepping up, uh, we're really gonna step back. Uh, the Washington Post had a story about the amount of money that uh, cities pay out in terms of damages. It's, it's unbelievable, people wouldn't imagine it. And so at a time when we should be talking about uh, changing training, blowing training up, and, and really looking at it in a very different way, looking at prevention. How do we prevent the next officer-involved shooting? That's how we should be thinking. Uh, so the defund movement, uh, nobody's talking about that anymore. Uh, that's probably one of the really unintended consequences that came out of uh, the tragedy in Minneapolis. Uh, it seems that, you know, you mentioned this briefly, Chuck, that uh, police use of force incidents keep occurring, uh, and at the same time, reform efforts have increased. Uh, are the reform efforts, and you can take this first, Chief, are the police reform efforts getting at the real issue of use of force? Well, look, it's not about uh, use of force or, or responding to resistance. It's about what led up to it. It's about whether or not we did everything we could through de-escalation, uh, you know, utilizing time, distance, numbers, and cover. Uh, it's about changing the mindset of police chiefs. And I think I've talked to Chuck about this. We've always heard that term lawful, but awful. And the awful usually is that officers that are trained to do things uh, a certain way in terms of their tactics, in terms of their approach, in terms of repositioning, completely abandon their training and get themselves uh, in a position in a, in a, where they are forced to utilize a deadly force and someone dies. But I think this lawful, but awful, uh, we have to change the mindset of police chiefs and police executives who are truly the problem in American policing, not the cops. This is the best generation of cops that we've ever had, best trained, best equipped uh, that we've had, most professional, uh, best educated. Uh, but it's police chiefs. If it's that awful, then why are we keeping those officers? If you're not going to hold officers accountable to their training, uh, where they're abandoning, you know, instead of doing a felony stop, they just run up and 
you know, fat, dumb, and happy and reach in and they end up speaking to somebody, we have to start holding people accountable by uh, for the awful. Uh, and, and that means that if it's so awful, you should not be a police officer. And I think that that's where we're headed. The, la- the other thing I would, I would say to that is that remind the American people, even, even uh, uh, that perspective in terms of context, for everyone that goes wrong, and like our mental health. Last year, we killed a young man by the name of Nicholas Chavez that was in crisis and uh, high on uh, dope. Um, you know, so everybody acts like this learning site, Houston PD, like we don't know what we're doing. When in fact, that we have 50,000 calls that are very similar to that call. And that's the only one where we end up having our taken alive. But those four people lost their jobs because they didn't they didn't utilize the tactics that I told them that I would hold them to on day one, which is the time business numbers covering concealment and tactical repositioning. And so, again, it's not about uh, policing being broken because more, way more often than not, we're, they're doing the right things. It's about police chiefs holding people accountable for the tactics that, they're, that they've been training their people to do and following the policies and procedures. Chuck, what do you think on that? Do you think the reform efforts are working? Where do they land? Uh, Chief Acevedo just blamed his colleagues in the chief's world. What are your, what's your take on that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to blame anyone. I think we have to recognize that policing uh, fundamentally in terms of training hasn't changed much in 25 years. And every time there's an officer involved shooting, people will ask, you know, why did that happen? And the answer is usually from our perspective is the officer did what they're trained to do. We have 18,000 police departments in this country, and we now know that there's ways with Washington posted their study, a thousand officer involved shooting, 60% of them are guns. We can't do anything about that. Active shooter, we expect an officer to step up. But there's that 40%, that's 400 out of a thousand. Those are people who are in crisis. Those are people who have knives, so two by fours and so forth. We need to train police officers, and we've been doing this, started doing this, how to deal with that situation. You know, when someone's in crisis, pointing a gun at them and yelling at them, especially if they're suicidal, is about the worst thing you can do. But cops don't know that. This They just had an incident up in Rochester uh, the other night, and they had one outside of Syracuse. Both were suicide by cop situations, but the cops didn't know that. But the dispatcher had the information. So there's a lot we can do. Look, I agree with Art, uh, by the way, that I, I'm not, we're not painting a broad brush and everyone's bad, but... You know, when you take a human life that you didn't have to, when a mother calls you up and says, my kid's in trouble and I need you to help, they don't expect you to take their life. They expect you to help them. And even if that means walking out of that house and time out, let's get some other situation. The police don't always have to win at any cost. There's a lot we can do. I agree with Art, though. I don't want to paint a broad brush that cops are bad. They're not. Believe me, when a cop shoots someone, like in the situation, if you watch the video up in Rochester, that cop felt horrible that he had to do that. But he didn't have any training. He didn't know how to recognize suicide by cop. That's the dilemma we're in. We need to change fundamentally how we think. It's about culture. You know, and I think, Art, if, if I said to you, Art, you know, what are the three or four things your cops think of? They would come up with the 21-foot rule. They would come up with all of these things that have been ingrained in them for 25 years. We need to change that thinking. All right, so then, Chief, there's been a backlash against policing that some have said have led officers to pull back from intervening in contentious situations that could land them in trouble. Have you seen that? Is that gonna be a problem going forward? 
Yeah, I think if you look across the uh, national landscape that uh, you will probably see that uh, arrests and police, act, uh, uh, proactive policing has uh, been impacted. Uh, I, I'm, I, I like to think that it uh, is not as bad as it could have been because quite honestly, most cops are just not, are not wired. We're just not wired to not go after bad actors that are hurting uh, our community. But the problem with uh, activist judges uh, the problem with activist DAs that are not holding bad actors accountable and people that are committing uh, uh, violence. And I can show you real videos of uh, uh, hardcore criminals going to jail, laughing at our cops, mocking them. Hey, man, I'm going to be out in a few, you know, just a couple of hours. Uh, at some point, when you put everything together, look, uh, there, there, there's a great scrutiny, rightfully so, with everything I do is going to be scrutinized. Uh, we've got uh, uh, DAs that are running. Uh, with platforms, and I'm going to prosecute cops, uh, and I'm going to hold them accountable, and I'm going to charge them all with murder. I mean, you can just hear that narrative. Uh, the uh, They're going to do a risk versus gain analysis, and they're going to come to the conclusion, why put myself, my family at risk, uh, especially for a bad actor that's not going to be held accountable at all. So I think we got to be very careful. Uh, we had a uh, really interesting uh, call with uh, uh, progressive um, uh, prosecutors that understood, and for uh, big city mayors that understand that if you completely get rid of, on top of everything that's going on, completely get rid of uh, uh, immunity, uh, we're going to have a we're going to have a real problem. Not only just attracting officers, but we're going to have a problem with officers uh, not not uh, Trump not engaging, not being a uh, you know a crime fighter. So. It is having an impact. Uh, I think it would be worse if officers weren't wired the way they're wired, where they actually want to save lives in uh, neighborhoods. Uh, but it's something we have to continue to keep an eye on. Uh, speaking of officers, uh, let's talk briefly about January 6th and how police departments are dealing with extremism in their ranks. Chief, you told the Post earlier this year that you'd accepted the resignation of an 18-year member of your department because of his involvement in the riot at the Capitol here. What, what's going on? Uh, help us understand what's drawing law enforcement to uh, such extremism in some instances. Well, the question, I think you have to back up. Uh, what's, what's causing Americans <laughs> across a broad section of life? I mean, you had CEOs of companies that were part of that mob that attacked the Capitol. You had military, you had teachers, you had uh, people from a broad spectrum. Uh, and I think the first thing that we have to acknowledge is if the FBI's assessment is that uh, the threat from the right-wing extremists and uh, hate groups and so on and so forth is uh, probably one of the uh, fastest emerging threats and one of the biggest threats to our nation. Well, we, we get our, uh, our officers from the community. And so the first thing we have to do as police chiefs is acknowledge the fact that they're amongst us. There's no way to get around that. And we have to have systems, robust systems in place to assess the hearts, the mindsets, uh, of our people. And uh, and so what we have to start doing is rethinking uh, what are the assessment tools from a psychological standpoint? Are they? I have meetings uh, with my psych team. Are, do we, are we using the right tools when we do the polygraph exams? Uh, I know we ask about, have you lied about, you know, stealing and all this other stuff, but are we asking them about, you know, are you a, are you a racist? Do you have, are you a member of a militia? Yes or no? So we have to put out a wider net because the, the assumption has to be that if it's a growing threat in society across the board, 
it's it's a growing threat within the ranks of the military and the ranks of law enforcement. And we can't you can't fix a problem unless you uh, admit it exists. And so we are be I think we're something we're all talking about. No, Chuck and Purpose talking about major state chiefs is talking about it. Uh, we're vigilant, and I think you're going to see uh, different approaches moving forward in terms of trying to uh, keep them out in the first place, but weed them, weed them out uh, once the, once you find them in your within your ranks. Hey, Tom, uh, can, I, can I comment on that for a second? I guess so. Okay. Uh, just, uh, you know, I, I agree with what, uh, what um, the chief said, but, you know, we're talking about the January 6th event. Let's also remember the other side of the cops that were in uniform that day. I mean, those guys were like gladiators, the ones that came in there and and, and they were fighting for like four hours. Usually fights take, you know, five to 10 minutes. You see the videos of those cops standing there. They were overwhelmed, but they fought hard. So yeah, there's cops that are bad cops. Any cop out of uniform that went into the Capitol shouldn't be a cop. On the other side of it, there were some cops that really stood up. A number of cops that stood up for four hours, had a heart attack, got their eyes gouged out. Yep. So that's just a small point there, Tom. Well, meaning what? That they there are a lot of cops that still have their heart in the right place? I mean, what are you, yes, what are you trying that's to tell? No, no. I'm simply saying, yes, you know, the bad planning on for the bosses, but the cops that worked that day, that tried to get control back, they, they, they were overwhelmed, but they fought. Uh, and the Metropolitan Police that came in and helped. I just think that, you know, I, I, I hand it to those cops. They got a tough job. Imagine you're standing there, you're outnumbered. People are putting bear spray in, in your face and they're, you know, fire extinguishers and all of that stuff. People getting heart attacks. Two cops have committed suicide since then. It ain't, e it ain't easy. They made a mistake in planning of this. But the cops who had to work that day. Yeah, I think doing is adding context, right? Putting in the context. Yeah, did they find some officers that were off duty and, and former officers like that yes. piece of work, New York PD officer that I hope he rots in, in prison because he violated not just the, the oath that he took to defend the Constitution of the United States, uh, but I think what he's pointing out is what we've all been pointing out. Yeah, there were some cops, but guess what? The vast majority of those outnumbered police officers gave their all and we, we, you know, we, we have to be a, a glass half full nation, uh, whether it's officer involved shootings or, or cops that are extremists. Let's not lose sight of the fact that are there bad actors in policing? Yes. But to this day, the majority, especially as scrutinized as we are uh, mm -hmm. with cell phones and body worn cameras, the majority of our police officers are still salt of the earth people that really care about what they're doing. I, I don't think we should lose sight of that. Fair enough. Uh because that the the change in administration was a subject of that protest, do you guys, Chuck, do you think that uh, a Biden administration can have an impact on policing? Uh, policing is mainly conducted at the state and local levels. Can the Biden administration change things? Oh, I, I think what the Justice Department does is very important. I mean, the Justice Department can set the tone. Justice Department can play a role. I mean, it's still state and local that, that drive decision-making, but the Justice Department through their Office of Justice Program, through the National Institute of Justice, through the Attorney General, they can set a tone. Uh, certainly in terms of holding officers accountable, I think you're going to see that. But I think there's another part of this. Look, policing needs support. It needs investment. There's a role for the federal government here setting the tone. I don't think we need a president that 
slaps cops on the back and tells them what a great job we're doing. I think we need a president. And this president, many of us have known him for 25 years. He knows policing. Uh, look, he's got a tough job. Get the country back in order. But we could use, you know, leadership that really makes sense. All right. Well, we, we're about out of time, but I do have one last question for Chief Acevedo. Chief, as a man who's devoted his life uh, to law and order, I have to ask you, do you believe the Houston Astros were sufficiently punished for cheating in the 2017 season in which they won the World Series? The correct answer is no. What's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys figured it out and came up with your own uh, double, triple uh, 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 a scheme to uh, beat us the following year. So, and remember, I nice. did grow up a Dodger. I grew up a Dodger fan. So, oh Noted. Lord, Lord, you got it. To afford that hat, there, Jack. What happened to the Astros? Some of their guys had to run extra laps. Was that the punishment there? All right, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, that's all the time we have. Thank you, Chuck Wexler and Chief Art Acevedo, for speaking with me today. And uh, thank you at Washington Post Live audience for joining us. Uh, we'll be speaking with some big city mayors about these important issues later this month. Uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m., join my colleague David Ignatius for a con conversation with author Walter Isaacson and the subject of his new book, Gene Editing Pioneer, Jennifer Doudna. I'm Tom Jackman, and thanks for watching Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.